Good morning, Southwest. I have the privilege to introduce our chapel speaker today. I have known Stefan Van Voorst for over 10 years. When I first met him, he was leading worship at the church I attended at the time, inviting people into an authentic relationship with Jesus. He lives that out daily to this day. Um, he's the executive director of one-to-one -one mentoring, partnering students in the North Minneapolis area and beyond with people who care for them and love them. I have appreciated the words he always comes to share. He's not a stranger to this stage. He's spoken at Encounter, and he's been one of our commencement speakers at graduation. I'm really excited for you guys to take in the words he has. May you have open ears and hearts to hear what God has for you today through Stefan. Please help me welcome Stefan Van Voorst. Hey, everybody. How are we doing? Man, it's good to see you all. Uh, it's good to see a group of people together. It's been a little while for me, um, which also means it's been a while since I've spoken in front of a group of people. So please be patient and gracious. <laughs> uh, my name is Stefan. I live on the south side of Minneapolis. Uh, we've lived there for, oh gosh, 16 years in our little neighborhood. And uh, I have two teenagers. Uh, one just started freshman year in high school and a son who is a seventh grader. And I spend my days uh, hanging out with a lot of young people. Um, and uh, in schools uh, in, in Minneapolis. And over the last couple years, much like this school, everything got turned upside down, right? It's like all topsy-turvy the world is. Uh, and so, um, so was our world. Um, but what I wanted to talk about today was something I've been thinking about through that time, through that time frame. Uh, and it, it really is something that uh, I, was, I first started thinking about several years ago because I have a mentor. I'm 46 years old, and the only reason I can actually kind of like think straight is because I have older people that I listen to <laughs> who are willing to share some of their experience and thoughts with me. Um, and one of them is a man by the name of Kurt Rhodes. And Kurt has spent his entire life working in the Middle East, uh, in Syria, Jordan, and a lot of countries that Americans are scared to go. Uh, He's an incredible man, and he was talking to me several years ago, and he said, Stefan, there's this group of people in the world that have never, ever, ever known security. They've never known comfort, and they've never known safety. And he says, the good news about God is that you can find all of those things in God. And those people need God. He says, but there's another group of people in the room, in, in the world, that all they've ever known is safety. All they've ever known is comfort, opportunity, security. And he says, those people, they need to leave that safety and comfort. They need to risk a little bit. They need to feel a little bit of danger. And he says, the good news for those people is that they'll find God there too. Two groups of people. Now, I don't know if you immediately kind of identify with one group or not. Um, but over the last couple of years, uh, I've thought a lot about it. And the catalyst for um, really thinking about it intensely was uh, in May of 2020, when just a few blocks from my house, 
uh, a man named George Floyd was killed by Minneapolis PD, um, part of the third precinct, which is where I live. And over the course of those days, my neighborhood uh, became a very different neighborhood than what I knew for 16 years. And uh, it started, I, I woke up on the day that it happened, and I saw the footage, and I watched about probably 30 seconds to a minute of this horrific video that this young woman took uh, on a street in South Minneapolis, and I turned it off, and I couldn't watch anymore. And to this day, I still haven't watched the whole thing, and I can't. And the reason that I couldn't watch anymore is because I work with a lot of young men, um, all black. And I've walked with these young men for years. My staff, uh, we have a staff of six. Well, actually, now we have a staff of, of seven. Um, three, three white folks and the rest are black. And three black men that I work with on a daily basis. One, uh, he used to work for Michael Jordan for the Nike brand. Another one's a former pro football player, and another one grew up on the north side of Minneapolis, and uh, because of an incredible trauma and stuff he had to go through as a kid, um, lived most of his teenage years out in the streets um, as part of the gangs that were going on in the north side. These are the three men that I get to work with every day, and I gotta tell you, they're some of the most incredible men I've ever met. And I, I have these, these friendships that are deep friendships for me, and so as I watched the first 30 seconds of this video, I had to turn it off because what I saw was my friends, and I couldn't deal with it. I saw my friends. And so I turned it off, and later that day, I call everybody up on the team. I'm, I, uh, I wanted to check in with how we were doing. And I got a variety of response. One, one of the, one man, he, he, uh, he said, Stefan, I don't want to talk about this with you. He says, if you bring this up in a staff meeting, I'm walking out. I have no interest in talking about this with you. Another man, I called him up. He's a grown man, and he just sat on the phone and wept. He just cried and cried and cried. And then one of my other staff, I called him, and he just had to talk. He has no interest in listening to me. He just wanted, he needed to talk, 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 talk. All very different responses to one event. But the thing that set all of their responses different from mine, what set it apart, then and to this day is when I saw that video, I saw one of my friends. When they saw that video, they saw themselves. They saw their sons, their brothers. They saw themselves. Some of us have never, ever known safety, security, and comfort. And some of us, it's all we've ever known. As the days went on, my neighborhood started getting intense. At midnight, uh, I think on the Thursday night, um, the precinct by our house was on fire. And uh, I'm friends with the former police chief in Detroit. Uh, he's retired now. Um, he's an incredible, incredible man. He lived through the um, racial uprisings in Detroit in the 60s. And he's texting me, it's one in the morning in Detroit. He says, are you watching this? I say, yeah, I'm watching this. He says, can you and your family go anywhere? I say, yeah, we can. My brother has a little farm outside of town, about an hour, we can go there. He says, you need to go. I said, okay. So I told my wife, hey, Chief McKinnon says we need to go to the farm, and there's all stuff around our house, and it was getting intense. 
Um, so we made plans the next day to get in our car and grow the farm. Well, for five years, I've been hanging out with these young men uh, who, when I started hanging out with them, they were 10, 11 years old, and now they're 16 years old. Uh, and um, they've become part of our family and us part of theirs, and uh, we love them dearly. And so uh, I was checking in with their mom to say, hey, how are the boys doing? They live over on the north side of Minneapolis. Um, and, and she said, well, they're safe right now. And I said, are you worried about them? She says, yes. I said, do you want us to take them out of town? And just one word, text reply, yes. Even for those of us who've only known safety, comfort, security, when it gets a little dangerous, we usually have a place to go. Some of us have never known that. And there's no place to go. So later that afternoon, I go to their house, we pack everybody up in the car, and we go out to the farm for the weekend, a place these boys have never been. (laughs) And we rode go-karts and uh, played games, ate way too much, uh, did some driving lessons, and it was phenomenal. Well, when I picked them up to go out there, they had a friend with them named Justin. And uh, I'd never met Justin before, but these guys, they're really social guys, and they always got friends. And so they said, hey, can Justin come along with us? Now, I'm taking these boys out of town overnight for multiple days, and I've never met this kid. So I said, well, uh, I I need to talk to Justin's mom. And Justin says, well, she's at work. I said, well, can we call her at work? He says, no, her boss will get really mad at her. We can't call her at work. I says, well, when she get off work? He says, like, 5 o'clock, and it's like noon, and I'm like, we got to go. He's like, trust me, she's going to be okay with it. I'm like, bro, I can't just take you out of the city. She doesn't know me. I'm just some random middle-aged white dude that's going to take you for a weekend. He's like, trust me, she's going to be fine with it. Please let me go. I said, okay, as soon as she gets off work, we're calling her. So we all get in the car, and I take this kid I've never met <laughs> out in the country, and I'm thinking, the cops are going to be coming after me. Come, who would do this? This is a dumb idea, right? So finally, mom gets off work, and uh, Justin calls mom, and mom is, is, is excited that her son is out in the country with some strange white dude, because he'll be safe. How many of your parents would do that? Mine would have gone crazy. But part of the reason they would have gone crazy is because they were starting from safety. They weren't starting from a place of risk, of danger. And so it changes. We brought the boys back. A few days later, I'm sitting with the guys on my staff and a few other folks. Um, A lot of environments I'm in, I'm the only white guy in the room. And so uh, I'm just silent. I get to listen in uh, and hear people talk and share stories. And so they're talking about stories. And and, uh, like I said, one of my staff is a former pro pro football player. He's a defensive tackle. He's 320 pounds. Um, In college, he... he, uh, (laughs) During his um, combine, NFL combine, he benched 220, 35 reps. 
and the, he's an absolute monster. <laughs> but he went to college at the University of South Dakota, and he starts talking about that experience. He says, when I was in college, I was literally the biggest black man on campus. So if anything ever went sideways and somebody said it was a big black man, all paths led to my house. And he said, as I think about the last several days and what's going on in our community around George Floyd, he says, what I realize is I've been working my entire life to make white people feel safe. My entire life. And it's exhausting. And then the other guys started sharing. They started talking about this. And I'll never forget it. You know what they started talking about? They started talking about crossing the street. No lie. And they started talking about the different strategies they have if they're crossing the street and they're meeting a white woman. One guy, he, he, he said he crosses the street and he just looks up at the trees like he's staring at a bird. <laughs> so, to pass the woman. And another guy said, man, you are courageous. I don't even cross the street. I plant and turn the other direction and look up. Why? Some of us have never known safety. We've never known comfort. We've never known security. The boys that I took out to the farm a few weeks ago got into an argument with somebody. And days later, folks are outside their house shooting up the front of their house. Two weeks ago, I had to move them out of state. They can never, ever come back. All their friends, their community, everything that they've known turned upside down and they're starting over at 16 years old. My son and I are on the porch, on the couch one night watching TV and uh, we're, my wife and daughter were in the bathroom. I don't know what they were doing, just probably girl stuff, I guess, I don't know. But all of a sudden, my son and I are standing there and we're talking and pop, 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 pop. Gunshots so loud. I thought for sure they're coming through the front window. So I tell my son to hit the deck. So here's this 12-year-old kid. He jumps behind the couch and he's laying down on the ground. I'll never forget this. I said, you stay right there. And I went and ran to the bathroom. I told my wife and my daughter, don't move. You have to stay right here. I went back out. I went out the front of the house to see what, what was going on. By that point, whoever had done it was gone. The neighbors were out wondering what just happened. I will never, ever, ever, ever forget the look in my son's eyes as he stared up at me, scared out of his mind, not knowing what's going on. I'll never forget it. We found out later that it was the case of a mistaken identity, a mistaken address, and they shot up a house across the street, but it was... A mistake. If my house gets shot up, it's a mistake. Not for everybody. Because some of us, all we've ever known is a lack of safety, lack of comfort, lack of security. 
And so what do you do if you're not safe in your home, your neighborhood, your street, and even if you have to worry about how you cross the street? Uh, I don't know. The question I've been wrestling with for almost two years is what do you do if you're the one who all you've ever known is safety, comfort, and security? What do you do? You can't change some things. I don't have answers, but I know that whatever it is, if I take serious the words, love your neighbor as yourself, what that means is, for me, I have to care about the safety, comfort, and security of my neighbor. And if they're not experiencing that in the same way I am, I have to wrestle with that and do something about it. It is the only way I know how to be faithful, to love your neighbor as yourself. The challenge is, in doing that, it's going to feel a little dangerous. It might feel a little scary. It might feel a little risky. But to that I say, welcome to following Jesus. That's the point. Where we set aside our comfort, our safety, and sacrifice in a way that somebody else might know comfort and safety. Not easy. There's no roadmap. It's literally just figuring out how you live your life in a way that's about the other. And it's hard. So the question that I would leave you with today is, with those groups of people, where do you fit? Where do you resonate? And how do we think about using our lives in ways that moves towards the other? That if all we've ever known is comfort and safety and security, what would it look like to say everybody should be safe? And I believe it so much that I'm going to risk a little of my own to make that happen. That's the Jesus we were singing about. Think about that. That is exactly what he did. <laughs> and his words to us were, come follow me. Watch. Just follow and watch. You can do it. One of the things that I struggle with most from my vantage point, the American church and American Christians are obsessed with our comfort and safety. We do everything we can to protect it. I don't have a lot of hope for my generation in wrestling with that, but I have a ton of hope for yours. You're one of the most courageous generations I've ever seen. You understand the world in real ways that a lot of us frankly don't. I believe in your generation to be able to lead this in a different way. The world more than ever needs Christians who are willing to leave comfort.
Christians who are willing to leave safety so that someone else might experience it. Someone else might know it. That's following Jesus. I believe in you to do that. You're very gracious to sit and listen to me for a few minutes. Thank you for your time and attention. Uh, have a good day. Yeah.